someday it may happen that a victim must be found. I've got a little list. I've got a little list of society offenders who might well be underground. They'd none of them be missed. They'd none of them be missed. He's got her on the list. He's got her on the list. And I don't think she'll be missed. I'm sure she'll not be missed. Welcome to Voice Print Identification. 2001. A Space Policy. I'm Wes. I'm Brad. Thank you. You are cleared through Voice Print Identification. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. The Shining is nothing if not full of seemingly inconsequential yet connected details. Oh my God. The Shining is just so much meta it's just absurd how much details in that movie and it comes off the cover story comes off as something very simple this family goes to the to a hotel that's you know out in the mountains during the winter and it's isolated and and the husband goes crazy and tries to murder the family and family escapes it's a very simple story mm. But what's really going on? Mm-hmm. And I, I guess it's a good way to, to say Kubrick always has a murder in his films. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things, one of the many things that he includes in his films. One of the many, it's, it's like a theme, just like some of the other things in Lolita that we won't discuss too much. And <laughs> uh, that's a Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, yeah. Full Metal Jacket, and especially Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. Eyes wide shut being maybe the 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 one that has the the most mystery about the murder itself. I mean, obviously, aside from it being a, a mystery in the story, but it's true that most of the other cases, you you're kind of watching it take place. You're like Hitchcock with the bomb under the table. You know the murder is going to take place, or there's at least some foreshadowing. Except the eyes wide shut, you're very much in the Tom Cruise perspective of of being behind the eight ball on what's happening in the story. My God, I love the way you just put that. And and from the perspective of a doctor, you have to put yourself in the shoes a little bit of what a doctor would be considering. The whole murder is very much a part of most Kubrick films. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's name name the ones that where there aren't a murder. Exactly. Yeah, because even, you know, killing obviously is another, it's just a horse that's being killed. It's still the people being killed at the end. Everybody gets killed. So, yeah, except Sterling Hayden. You've been talking. Now you spilled to her. I didn't ask. What do you think? I'm crazy? I wouldn't jerk you, clown. Come on, clown. Sing us a chorus from Pagliacci. Johnny, I'm no good for anybody else. I'm not pretty and I'm not very smart. So please don't leave me alone anymore. When I came back from China, uh, I bought myself a new car. I'd been there for 10 years. I had everything with me. And I decided to trek around. And I hit Yosemite Park to see the Iwani Hotel. Mm. And then I then I went up to um, um, the Timberline Hotel. Mm. Scurried over to Glacier National Park to take some photos there. It was absolutely stunning I driving over there. Mm. And then down to Boulder. To look at the apartment. Beautiful. Looks a little bit different now. There's a lot of trees and mm. the cars are newer. <laughs> but 
Uh, and then somebody said, you have to go to the Stanley Hotel. Do you plan to go there? And I'm like, nah. And then I did. Mm. <laughs> cool. Did you, uh, uh, did you, you stay, stay overnight? Uh, not exactly. I kind of did. I went home around three in the morning. Oh, okay, cool. So you got <laughs> the night vibes, though. Yeah, they they specifically gave me the most haunted room in the place. <laughs> and I never I never I never got up there. I just drank like Jack Torrance in the in the bar. Wow. No charge. Your money's no good here. Orders from the house. Orders from the house. Drink up, Mr. Torrance. Yeah, they were very kind to me at the Stanley. Um, they even had a, a really great sort of Stephen King, Stanley Kubrick exhibition going on all the time. Oh, nice. Over there. Uh, but they talk more about King than anything. Mm-hmm. King is King over there. King is King, yeah. <laughs> so if if you want, I'll tell you what Maison Abim has to do with The Shining, though, and yes, how it answers The Shining. On that. Yes, thank you. So Maison Abim reaching out like a painting within a painting um, or it could be a movie within a movie. Mm-hmm. You guys, have you guys seen summer of 42? Oh, not. yeah. And that house up there, that was her house. And nothing from that first day I saw her. And no one that has happened to me since has ever been as frightening and as confusing. So, but with within the summer of 42, if you haven't seen it, is another film that the boys go to see while they're at the shore. And I think they're in the Cape somewhere, yeah. New Hampshire, something like that. Can't remember. Um, the book is hilarious. It's, oh. it, it is so hilarious. It's like the humor of a teenager. It's, it's pretty funny. So there is a movie within that movie, and that movie is a Betty Davis feature called Now Voyager, mm-hmm. where she plays, Betty Davis plays a homely sort of aunt who hasn't been married yet and lives and basically lives in her room, smokes in her room, and hides her cigarettes in her books. Jerry, Dr. Jackwith knows about us. When he said I could take Tina, he said, you're on probation. Do you know what that means? It means that I'm on probation because of you and me. He allowed this visit as a test. And if I can't stand such tests, I'll lose Tina. And we'll lose each other. Jerry, please help me. Shall we just have a cigarette on it? Are you talking about a, like the recurring 42. 42? But 42 is all over The Shining, and you could equate 42 to, the, to creation. It was a tough assignment. 42? 
in the shining. There's exactly 42 lights at the landing strip. 42 could be found in Dr. Strangelove quite a bit. So that's one way that it reaches all the way out. And there's another way where it reaches out into paintings, the Colville paintings that we've all heard about in the film, right? Mm -hmm. The Alex Col the Canadian artist, Alex Colville. Four of his paintings are featured in there, but what's the one that is not featured in the film that screams The Shining? It's called Mayday. It features a long black haired woman leaning up against uh, a yellow Volkswagen bug. Mm. So he's reaching out through paintings. And mm. sometimes it's the thing that's not there. I'm looking at this right now. Look at that, Wes. No way. <laughs> and when when did the hotel close? Because it appeared that she was there on closing on on opening day and not closing day because there's all the maintenance people are going around and doing what needs to be done to open that's up. Right. Yeah. And that's why it looks like that. Good morning, Jeff. Hope you haven't been waiting too long. No problem. In fact, we had time to grab a bite to eat. Good. Glad you made it before they shut down the kitchen. Is your family having a look around? No, my son's discovered the games room. So you get the sense of writing that's going on. So you've got Summer 42, now Voyager. There's a book in the apartment, and it's Ina Seidel's The Wish Child. And she also wrote a book called The Labyrinth. Ah. Uh -huh. In 1932, illness as metaphor, Susan Sontag's book on mostly tuberculosis and maybe a little bit of cancer. Now, she she correlates tuberculosis patients and cancer patients mm. in her book and says people should not use metaphors for illness um, and don't romance like things mm. like tuberculosis like it was at first. Um, but that references Susan Sontag's on photography that, you know, has the, the Arbus twins in it. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to escape and, you know, from the painting inside the painting. And then, and that's, that's about it. So you've got rumors, got rumor gardens in this house of breed, which probably references black narcissus, which is a beautiful film from yeah. 48, which is also about people going a little bit nuts because of a place that they're in. That is correct. <laughs> so what does that all say to you though, when you get outside that far? Interesting. See, what does it say? Well, the first thing that came to my mind was in clockwork orange, Alex is walking around the, the new age mall and there's the record of the soundtrack album, 2001, right in front of you. Which mm. could could just mm -hmm. be a self-referential little in-joke, but it could also no. be another way of, of looking at this where we're actually dealing with media inside media. What does that I, mean? And when you're dealing with a classical music lover like Alex. So um, there there is a reference to John Fahey's, um, uh, I guess it's a early 1800s versions of uh, songs from back then that he does on the guitar mm. the guy was brilliant and it, they're really interesting to listen to because mm -hmm. they kind of put you in a time that you're not familiar with and mm. and it, it's like sort of music for people who want to be on vacation from music in a way yeah. and uh that's right next to the 2001 record and he's surrounded by other contemporary records which kind of gives you that idea of we are in the now and not the then mm -hmm. feeling uh, another zeitgeisty zeitgeist. kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, and there's also tremendous hints at Maison Abim in 
a clockwork orange. And eventually it reaches out so far that the audience is participating. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes. At the end of the movie, we, we become Alex and we are, our bloodlust is satisfied. Well, who are we? It's like a great test because you see Alex as sort represented as these other thugs that are dressed similarly, you know, in pirates and bowlers now or pirate hats and other things, but they're in white also. Um, and so there is that picture within a picture idea. And then we're in a theater watching it. Um, yeah, we're part of the experiment. And who are we? Who are we as humanity? Are we rooting for Alex? Because I'm sure there's some people out there that would. Mm -hmm. Or do we have empathy for Alex? Yeah, but it's kind of hard. I've taught you much, my little droogies. Now tell me what you had in mind, Georgie boy. Mr. Grady. You were the caretaker here. I recognize you. I saw your picture in the newspapers. You, uh, chopped your wife and daughter up into little bits. And, uh, and you blew your brains out. I don't have any recollection of that at all. Mr. Grady, you were the caretaker here. I'm sorry to differ with you, sir. But you are the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. I should know, sir. I've always been here. So we established that the bathroom is the place where we find the antagonists in most or all of Kubrick's films. The Shining is just full of bathroom and antagonists. It's just everybody's an antagonist <laughs> in that film. And they're all a bunch of unreliable assholes up there. <laughs> Isn't that what Halloran says? Yes. Is Halloran like the only real? I don't even know if Halloran's reliable because he works for the hotel. Oh, and right. I don't. I don't think the hotel is reliable. Yeah. You know, look, what, <laughs> look what's happening to these caretakers. <laughs> well, but yeah, we identify Floyd as a character who's unreliable to the other characters. He's, he's lying to everybody except in the film at the very end that, that Dave uncovers. This is a pre-recorded briefing made prior to your departure. And which for security reasons of the highest importance has been known on board during the mission only by your HAL 9000 computer. Now that you are in Jupiter's space and the entire crew is revived, it can be told to you. He's, he can't for the life of him figure out how to use the bathroom, but he's going to try. I love how it just shows him leaning up against it, like biting his <laughs> finger. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to use the thing, sure. 
You think he held it? You think he just? <laughs> what? I think he got shy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's that's <laughs> the thing, you know. It's 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 that these late sixties still, you know, there's some chivalry going on. He's sure. Not yeah. Sure what to do about this? Is the only man on board, and he's probably also he's sipped too much of that carrot juice. And next time he's middle note, sip less carrot juice because it goes straight through you. <laughs> But on the Blu-ray, you can see the detail, can't you? We were looking at it where you can freeze frame and read the instructions. Oh, yeah. yeah well, ah, that's uh, cool. That panel is... Ooh, detailed. <laughs> it's like a, a Japanese fully equipped toilet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's the like the instructions. I can't really remember anything. I just, we read through them, and, and it's very dry. It's not really humorous unless you're really thinking about it conceptually, what they're trying In case about. of explosive... Yeah, yeah. explode something. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were referencing some ISS horror stories, and Ooh. the uh, the verbiage "popcorning" came up. <laughs> oh. oh, that's a bad thought. <laughs> okay, unfortunate. How's that going to work up there? Mm-mm. Oh, because in in that design, right? They were keeping it at the center of the centrifuge, so that it was gravity, so gravity. spiral it out. Um, again, thanks to Arthur C. Clarke, he basically explains how the nasty system works on the station. <laughs> so Clarke was left with the details. Yes. <laughs> oh, except, man. except if you, that doctor. His name has got to be Chandra. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? It's got to be Chandra. Don't <laughs> fuck with me on this. Call this guy in the postcard <laughs> and his wife. When I saw that, I was like, nah, come on. It just keeps coming. <laughs> you make this up. You can't it, make this up. It's, 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 you can't. It's, who would make this up, Stan? And, and, and all this from a family outing to the, to the mm. World's Fair. There is a world of travel. The Chandras go to Spain. Good morning, Hal. Good morning, Dr. Chandra. Do you feel capable of resuming all of your duties? Of course. And so much like Kubrick that it is maybe at the very bottom of this on the other side of the mirror is always Kubrick's family. Mm. I mean, so many of his films could Mm. be about on the filmmaking side about family, you know, eyes wide shut, especially, Mm. I mean, without a doubt. Um, but war also, you know, always involves the family. I mean, every film involves family in some some way. Mm. Clockwork Orange. It's really funny how they're <laughs> depicted Found with pink yeah. wigs and green <laughs> wigs. And, and and look what we have now. We've got green hair and blue hair. Hey, that's true. And also Clockwork Orange, the movie that ended up pulling a threat to his family. That oh, they didn't yeah. have to pull the distribution of the movie in England. Hmm. So his, his that family. Was a shame. Then, of course, he moved his family after The Shining to the, the house that Leon Vitale said is the place where no one can hear you scream. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's the that's the current Kubrick estate, the one where they moved in in the 80s. Correct. Okay. And Hertfordshire? Yeah. Hertfordshire? Yeah. yeah. So, caretaker. Like, how's a caretaker? We got mm-hmm. the caretaker theme going on. Caretaker is often a, a theme, I think, uh, in his films, at least to a degree. We've um, got, uh, yeah, we, we certainly have Dick Howard in The Shining. We, we, I guess, really, in The Killing, what's his name? There's the, the one guy that survives other than Sterling Hayden, the older guy who is actually kind of attracted to Sterling Hayden and, and seems to kind of be in love with him a little bit, willing hmm. to do everything for him. He seems to be kind of a... If not a fatherly figure, is certainly a, a looking after tender. It's just a 
is this the really large chess playing guy or uh it's the the older older kind of gray-haired guy who's like sure buddy he was kind of in with him in the beginning and he's like anything you want me to do i'm there and, and he's kind of tempts him like why can't i go away with you instead of the girlfriend if you, you know why don't just you and me go we're pals you know? oh i have to watch this now there's a homosexual theme going mm-hmm. on in oh yeah. boy oh yeah, where was i when that happened and it it because i was um i was noticing the last time i was watching the killing how overt it was at the very last scene because they picked the casting of this guy who's in a lot of Perry Mason's as this kind of jovial, kind of happy-go-lucky dude. And in this movie, they, they you know, they really counter-cast him where he's very sympathetic and fatherly and, and kind of sensitive. And you wonder, how is this guy a hardened criminal? But he's obviously just kind of one of the old guard. And then at the end, he's been the, he's been the one person that never double-crossed Johnny or, or anything. Then when when Johnny's about to leave, he's packing up the money and taking the girlfriend. And it's kind of like, okay, this is goodbye. See you, Pops. I think he even calls him Pops, maybe. I can't remember. But the guy's like, uh, you know, come on, Johnny. Why, why don't we go together? And it, it's it's a very heartfelt thing where you can see that the guy has kind of given everything with this hope, this dream that he and Johnny were going to go away together. And it's not going to happen. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Because I have this theory that... Um, Peter Sellers' character in Doctor Strangelove, uh, Colonel Mandrake, is mm-hmm. it? Is gay. Okay. Interesting. And he saves everybody. He does. And he's the contrast to the the, <laughs> the dickheadedness of Sterling Hayden in that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that guy was nuts. And that conspiracy stuff screams present day it does it's a holy cow in the water you know in the fluids kind of nonsense give them a chance they'll talk they'll talk about fluoridation if you give them a chance (laughs) communist infiltration communist indoctrination communist subversion and the international communist conspiracy to sap and impurify all of our precious bodily fluids. It's incredibly obvious, isn't it? A foreign substance is introduced into our precious bodily fluids. Well, I, uh, I, I first became aware of it, Mandrake, during the physical act of love. Huh. Yes, a, uh, a profound sense of fatigue feeling of emptiness followed. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I, I was able to interpret these feelings correctly. Loss of essence. Yeah. I can assure you it has not recurred, Mandrake. Women, uh, women sense my power, and they seek the life essence. I do not avoid women, Mandrake. Yeah. But I, I do deny them my essence. I looked at it at one point. It was very brief. And I I thought, everybody's got these odd affinities going on in Dr. Strangelove. Hmm. It's kind of a strange love, kind of like you said, Uh for for the killing. Um, And, you know, this woman who's with this general, she's getting something out of it. And also he's getting something out of it. The president and the Russian president, Uh he's definitely, you know, yeah, they're both like an guy. old married couple. 
Yeah, you remember how we talked about the bomb that time? <laughs> he had a sort of, well, he went a little funny in the head. You know, just a little funny. And uh, he went and did a silly thing. Well, I'll tell you what he did. He ordered his planes to attack your country. Uh, well, let me finish, Dimitri. Let me finish, Dimitri. Well, listen, how do you think I feel about it? Can you imagine how I feel about it, Dimitri? Why do you think I'm calling you? Just to say hello? Of course I like to speak to you. Of course I like to say hello. Not now, but anytime, Dimitri. I'm just calling up to tell you something terrible has happened. It's a friendly call. Of course it's a friendly call. Listen, if it wasn't friendly, you probably wouldn't have even got it. Yeah, everybody's kind of got a weird affinity. And I don't want to say it's a weird affinity, but it, when you come down to Mandrake or one of the flyers in the B-52, everybody's kind of weird in that thing, except for uh, the Earl guy, Jones. James Earl Jones. He's kind of straight up, you know, and so is Mandrake kind of straight up. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of funny that Mandrake... I can't pair him up with anybody hmm. except Sterling Hayden, I guess, but they don't really go together, I guess. Yeah, that's true. in a way. But um, Dr. Strangelove is so much about cryptology mm -hmm. in the film and how the failure of that system yeah. causes havoc and chaos. I, I think it's it's very interesting that OPE is the final solution to calling everybody back. Mm. And nobody knows what OPE is, but it's kind of a Midwestern colloquialism for oops. We didn't know this yeah. until the article because we're not from the Midwest. This is, but that's the same kind of pun as E-I-E-I-O. I mean, that's a very dry Kubrick kind of thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely some dark humor going on way down in the depths. Yeah. Because you, everybody's name is ludicrous in this movie anyway. I mean, Merck and Muffley. <laughs> <laughs> Bat Guano? Bat, yeah, exactly. Bat Guano. Bat Guano. I mean, you can't. Of course, Major Kong, yeah. Yeah. And back in 2001, the, the similar kind of affinity that people have for each other, as you were talking about with Dr. Floyd and the Russian scientist. Also, uh, also maybe some history with the female scientist in the group. We right. discovered in Kubrick's handwritten notes in this Allison Castle Kubrick archives book from Tashin, there's a great little section about him scribbling down how Dave and Frank are an old married couple who have nothing couple. to talk about anymore and <laughs> they have nothing but their playboys and, you know. Hello, Frank. Happy birthday, darling. Happy birthday. Many happy returns of the day. Glad to hear you well. Yeah, Mother and I are both feeling wonderful, too. Ray and Sally were going to be here, too, but at the last minute, Ray's back went bad on them again. How do you like your cake, dear? Looks great, doesn't it? Sorry you can't join us. Yeah. Oh, I ran into Bob the other day. He said to be sure and wish you happy birthday. All my students made me promise to send their best wishes, too. You know, they talk about you all the time in the classroom. Frank, you're a big celebrity in the second grade. You know, we were on television last week. Oh, yes, yes. Your mother and I and Dave's parents were interviewed about what we thought of our illustrious son. You can imagine what we told them. I think it's being broadcast next Thursday. Perhaps you'll be able to listen in. Oh, we were thrilled about Elaine and Bill, dear. I'll be glad to get the present for you, but please tell me how much I can spend. 
Oh, yes, Frank, about your AGS-19 payments, I think I've straightened it out for you. I talked to the accounting office in Houston yesterday, and they said that you should be receiving your higher rates of pay by next month. And it's very interesting how indifferent Frank is while he's getting his birthday message. And I think, you know, if you want to segue into typecasting here, that deliberate typecasting, it kind of gives an answer to why he's so indifferent to his parents. Um, And they're talking about his pay. And I don't know if there's supposed to be like a wink, wink, like we got you your extra money and Hal figured out that he was actually oh. not on the up and up mm-hmm. i'm kind of doubting this i'm yeah. i'm thinking mm-hmm. maybe the I'm parents wrong. the parents are halfway in the bathroom on this one as well and and uh-huh. through the typecasting they certainly are you know it, it's kind of interesting how the shining and 2001 play out with play with typecasting and it's very deep into the filmmaking uh the storytelling goes very deep into the filmmaking mm-hmm. process but um because the, i the Shining does the same thing and it crescendos into very, you know, interesting characters that are being portrayed in The Shining that are those actors' previous roles. Like uh, it could be uh, Jack Nicholson for definitely, definitely for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I think Yeah. as far as typecasting goes, if you see the salmon color in the the office and the shining during during his interview and all the the pictures of big catches of Marlin down in Florida <laughs> it's it's very it 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 it's very indicative of of his interview in the doctor's office when he arrives at the hospital mm. uh, because they talk about fishing isn't that a dandy yeah about 40 pounds, ain't it? No, 32. 32. But I'll tell you, it took every bit of strength I had to hold it out there while the guy took the picture. Every damn bit. Probably um, that chain didn't help it any either. Well. You didn't weigh the chain, did you, Doc? No, I didn't weigh the chain. <laughs> so there's, it, it's interesting how he's using color and and older photographs of Marlin, say, to sort of connect that, connect those those two people. And, and, and it also has the big cat, the idea of the big catch, which I think Jack kind of is or his uh, family. There's somebody in his family that that they want there. The The house is definitely evil. Mm-hmm. It's It's got that sort of burnt offering thing going mm-hmm. a little bit. The house is definitely looking like for maybe Dan, hoping for Danny, but they got Jack. Yeah. In a way. But, you know, uh, so that's and there's there's a kind of. Uh, reference back to Chinatown where he says something like sorry or something mm. like that, which I, I don't think too much of. I think it's more about, you know, the idea of his previous role just to get the idea of a, the typecasting out there. He did that. And then I believe um, Shelley Duvall's last role in three women oh, love as me. Millie Lamoureux was, mm. she says some very, very specific lines in the shining from, from uh three women oh wow another excuse to go back and watch my favorite altman film that's awesome okay it is an awesome film and it's kind of scary how it ends it's a creepy movie yeah yeah very creepy and it's got twins in it it does Woo! and and that whole uh, place was creepy unconventional way yeah wow yeah they were like they were just rude and nasty twins (laughs) in that movie (laughs) yeah yeah, but nobody wanted anything to do with Millie. No, yeah, she thought they did, unfortunately for her, yeah. Okay, would you check my glands for me? What? what? My neck glands. They've really been swollen all week. Is this Marshall? 
Are you Marshall. sure? I've really been feeling sluggish a lot lately. What's a French dip sandwich? It's a French roll with beef and juice on the side. Would you like one? I'll just get melon. Pie. Oh, I forgot to tell you about dessert. We're having banana pops. You ever had those before? They're frozen bananas dipped in hot chocolate, and then before they get too dry, you roll them around real quick in Rice Krispies. Read about it in the calls. They give you a whole bunch of recipes you can make with Rice Krispies. Really interesting character. Wow. And which, which kind of, you know, there's a, a lovable part of the Shelley Duvall in The Shining that is also a vulnerable kind of sad thing. You feel like this is a woman who maybe has a little overconfidence or, or thinks that she has more than she really has going on, both in, in, her, in her own life and, and with the family that she assumes that she has. She thinks things are more, you know, in control and on her side and that she's more on top of things than she really is. I, I, well, you just nailed it, that Wendy is being depicted as somebody that who she is actually not. Mm. Well, let's just wait and see. We're all going to have a real good time. It's amazing how fast you get used to such a big place. I tell you, when we first came up here, I thought it was kind of scary. <laughs> She's being depicted as somebody meek, and but somebody who does all the house chores. Who, she's the real caretaker in yeah. that film. And she is actually the most powerful character in that film, mm -hmm. which she's not really depicted like that, is she? No, it's only at the end that we find that she's the one who's survived and- And got Danny out of got there. Out. And she looks like the hero, but there's no heroes in, in Kubrick films. Right. There aren't. Only survivors. There, yes. And they are all, all of those characters up there are unreliable. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot going on with Wendy and it is bad. It's, and it's between Wendy and Danny. It's, it's Oedipal. Mm -hmm. And when I heard about The Shining back in the early 80s, I, it may have been my older brother that I overheard saying it has an, there's, an, there's a theme of an Oedipal complex going on in that film between those three people. Mm. I'm like, wow, people picked up on this back then. Wow. I'm like, that's really cool. And that's another way that the zeitgeist comes into play. Mm. Is And I, so the whole time I was thinking, I see tennis represented, you know, in the film and tennis was, had a huge resurgence, like a resurrection in the seventies because of television. And I remember that because I was an eight year old kid and mm. I knew what my, my parents were watching on television. And there was a lot of Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs and things like that. Yeah. Tennis was huge. And you see that that's why the tennis ball is in the film. You could make up other reasons why that's, you know, that maybe the twins roll him the, the tennis mm. ball. That is one way that it also reaches out in The Shining into the 70s. And I, I, and I didn't want this to really be the answer because they were one of my favorite bands. But everybody knows that the Doors had a resurrection back in the 70s also, mm -hmm. a huge res resurrection. And their song, The End. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Walter Birch uncovering the fuck, fuck me part. Yeah. They'd been at film school together, although Jim had a rock group while he was at film school that turned into the Doors that became famous and took him off in that direction. Francis also knew by talking to people who had fought in Vietnam what 
that music meant to them, that there was an edge to it and a strung outness that reminded them of the situation that they were in in Vietnam. The Doors record company, Electra Records, sent me what turned out to be a four-track master. There was a discovery I made in Jim Morrison's vocal track that never appeared on the original album. It's a section that when I heard, my eyes must have popped out. He goes on at length, reiterating this phrase, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. And he repeats this over and over again against this incredible you know, driving sound behind it. And when I opened up that channel and heard that, in conjunction with the image, it was a, this is fantastic. The fact that it had never been heard before, it was like discovering gold. My worry was, oh, they won't let us use this. But I just left it in anyway and played it with it. And the times were right and they were ready to let something like that go by. That's how it appeared in the track. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. One of my favorite bands. And of course, the end, you know, has that Oedipal section. And, yeah. and, and what happens, I'm not sure if people are aware that Jack wakes up at about 530 in the morning. If you can count the days and they spend 42 days at that hotel mm. between October and December 10th, Jack wakes up at dawn. He had his boots on and he took a face from the ancient gallery and he walked on down the hallway. And so there's that there is a sense of the doors in there, mm. because if, if you consider the shining a zeitgeist, you could ask where popular music might fit in. And the doors had a massive resurrection in the late 70s, one because of, you know, Morrison's biography by Daniel Sugarman. And I can't remember the other guy's name. That's another way it reaches out into a you know this realm of a zeitgeist, and it mm -hmm. uses that edible thing. It tell it tells you in a very nuanced way that what's happening here is a, is an edible complex mm -hmm. between the mother, the son, and the father. This is why Danny uh, Jack really wants to kill Danny. He's not that interested. He wants his wife, and he wants to get laid. Uh -huh. But if you go around the hexagon facets of Maze on a Beam and The Shining, you come to all these things that had everything to do with a woman. Mm. You know, Sontag, you've got uh, The Labyrinth by Ina Seidel, you've got Now Voyager with Betty Davis, Rumor God and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the one thing that I forgot to tell you guys was Star Trek is one of the most important things in that film because the very foundation for the film is based on one of the episodes in Star Trek. And it was written by a woman also. Ah. It's uh, the Gamesters of Triskelion. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Trek. Wes is more of a Trek. Is that um, TOS original series? Yes, sir. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've got this idea of a female um, in a lead part, and it's written by Margaret Armin. But The Shining's Foundation's story of, say, a wager and a fight is not told very strongly in the film, but it is visually. And everybody seems to be paired up to fight. But you, you know, and Danny's kind of dressed up like he's getting ready for a boxing match anyway, when everything starts in the, in the very early morning hours. 
Mm. And Wendy's looking at her watch. She's smoking a cigarette. Time has a big factor in that movie, too. You've got Danny and Wendy together. You've got Jack and Grady together and Halloran and his hotel management team. And it looks like there is a kind of a wager going on in the in the shining somebody's got a wager going maybe it's that party in the gold room Mm -hmm. and people have got to wait because it seems like people are pitted against others in that party grady talks about that a little bit it's interesting how they assert the things but they never commit Mm -hmm. it's so interesting and you've got grady trying to pit jack against his own kid now he is a very willful boy Indeed he is, Mr. Torrance, a very willful boy, a rather naughty boy, if I may be so bolstered. It's his mother. (laughs) She uh, interferes. Perhaps they need a good talking to, if you don't mind my saying so. Perhaps a bit more. Halloran comes in, he loses, then it's Jack and Danny, and then the house wins anyway, because... The house always wins. The house always wins. And of course, the party that's depicted in the 1920s in the gold room was the grand old party mm. that that's who those those lawyers and politicians would have been in the 1920s and harding was president uh. and, it, and july 4th 1921 they had just ended world war one for the, the united states ended world war one for themselves and it was a very happy time back then even einstein wrote about it i call it his happy letter but he said the people of the united states are very happy people they seem very settled here and, you know, not like a nervous bunch like we are now. But and the other reason why we know it's it's, you know, it depicts the GOP is because that man says great party, isn't it? Yes, he did. And of course, any part of an alle- allegories have a lot to do with political things sometimes like like the Mikado is even though it's based on a Japanese story, that opera is based on a Japanese story. It's an allegory for British politics. And that Nisei Prius nuisance, who just now is rather rife. The judicial humorist, (laughs) I've got him on the list. All funny fellows, comic men and clowns of private life. They'd none of them be missed. They'd none of them be missed. An apologetic statesman of a compromising kind, such as, uh, what do you call him, a thingamabob, and uh, likewise, uh, well, never mind. And, uh, tut, 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 and what's his name? And, well, well, you know who. Ah, the task of filling up the blanks I'd rather leave to you. For it really doesn't matter whom you put upon the list. For they'd none of them be missed. They'd none of them be missed. You may put them on the list. You may put them on the list. And none of them be missed. They'll none of them be missed. The same with Orwell's uh, Animal Farm, mm-hmm. that it is an indictment of the Russian government and hit, and Orwell's disappointment with the, the the Bolsheviks, the Bolshevik War. So you you could tell that Kubrick stuff is so complicated, and it's really hard to get around. No, because like the 
what you're doing is you're taking us on a thought journey. So if we can preserve the journey of thought that you've taken us on, I think everybody will follow along. Yeah, I love it. So what I wanted to get is that layer within a layer kind of a thing with The Shining is you've got Wendy as the most important character pretty much in there. there and then there's Danny. And then there's Jack. And But if you look at Jack as telling the truth throughout the whole Shining and you, and you you agree that it was three years ago and not five months ago, Wendy's lying and trying to get out of her marriage because uh-huh. she just told the doctor it was five months ago, right, mm-hmm. that this happened. What sort of injury did he have? Uh, he dislocated his shoulder. How did he manage to do that? Well, it was just one of those things, you know, purely an accident. Uh, my husband had uh, been drinking and he came home about three hours late. So he wasn't exactly in the greatest mood that night. And, uh, well, Danny had scattered some of his school papers all over the room and my husband grabbed his arm, you know, to pull him away from him. It's, it's just the sort of thing you do a hundred times with a child, you know, in the park or in the streets. But on this particular occasion, my husband just used too much strength and he injured Danny's arm. Anyway, something good did come out of it all because he said, Wendy, I'm never going to touch another drop. And if I do, you can leave me. And he didn't. And he hasn't had any alcohol in uh, five months. You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. That bitch. As long as I live, she'll never let me forget what happened. Been hurt him once, okay? It was an accident. Completely unintentional. Could have happened to anybody. And it was three goddamn years ago. The little fucker had thrown all my papers all over the floor. All I tried to do was pull him up. A momentary loss of muscular coordination. Few extra foot pounds of energy per second per second. If you take that, Jack is telling telling the truth. And if you take that, Danny is doing it to himself. Maybe Danny took the lipstick and drew some bruises on him and cut up his own and hmm. and and pulled apart his own shirt with the lipstick. Danny's pretty good with the lipstick. <laughs> What about those bruises on his neck? Somebody did that to him. I think he did it to himself. of what happened there is no other explanation is there 
it wouldn't be that different from the episode that he had before we came up here, would it? How's it going, Dad? Okay. Having a good time? Yes, Dad. Go to sleep. I can't. I got too much to do. Dad? Yeah. Do you like this hotel? say that to you? That I would hurt you? No, Dad. Are you sure? Yes, Dad. I love you, Danny. I love you more than anything else in the whole world. I would never do anything to hurt you. Never. You know that, don't you? Hmm? Yes, Dad. <laughs> because this is a fight between father and son yeah. for his wife. I saw guys get divorced divorced at sea. Wow. It, it wasn't good. Uh, I saw guys losing their mind and I'm like, I maybe ought to shut up about my losing my girlfriend out here. Not sure so we had broken up and I was I was pretty distraught and then here's here's this guy you know knowing that his wife is fooling around it's, um, yeah that's, that's awful they depicted it pretty well in Jarhead when hmm. people get you know uh, when they lose their girlfriend or, the, or their wife and that guy gets a tape and and they think they're going to watch the deer hunter and then she's taped over it some some with somebody she's had sex with mm. and she sends it to him it's pretty gruesome but mm. um but also there's some really bad things going on with wendy too there's there's the yeah jack physically hurt 
Danny, but what Wendy is doing is one of the most horrible, horrifying things anybody could think of a mother to do. And it's like the thing I don't even want to talk about. But if that's what's going on with their their relationship, I mean, that that makes The Shining one of the most horror horror filled movies I know of, because I can't imagine my mother doing that to me. No. And it also, you know, that would add horror, but also connection to the image that's the scariest to anybody who's ever seen The Shining, people who haven't seen The Shining, which is the image of the twins, then the twins getting axed or being axed. Yeah. So if that plays into the motivation of previous caretaker or previous version of Jack, then yeah, that's a whole other layer that that connects to. Wow. But there is one more, that outer layer of Wendy, that if you get a sense of the, within The Shining, that something's being written as we sort of speak, mm-hmm. thing, there is, Jack is typewriting. We know what he's typewriting, finally, but, and he's not much of a writer, is he? Right. (laughs) And if we look at all the way that The Shining reaches out into reality, Uh Black Narcissus, Colville's painting, it's all based on women. Wendy's the writer. Interesting. Now, if you consider, if you take, take it verbatim that Wendy is the writer, you can look at the, the, the opening scene driving in, in the Volkswagen, and you can look at the end scene as bookends, which are outside of the time of the actual movie to define bookends. Mm-hmm. It's like the same thing in Private Ryan, Saving mm-hmm. Private Ryan, where the man and his family come here and he has a recollection recollection of his you know time during the war with yeah. you know lieutenant mitchell i think was his name and then you you see them again at the end those are bookends they are out of time but they're related to the story and if you consider who was that rolling up on the photo at the end i mean it's all the audience right mm. and we know what we're looking at we're looking at a photograph of jack torrance but if you are a writer if you are a writer and you walked up onto that photograph and you reversed engineered everything you have your story right there. So apparent to me, Wendy is in the car in the beginning before the chapter starts. And the chapter doesn't start until Jack walks in. Mm. So this is, tells me it's definitely outside of the time, but related to this story. And that's where you get that multi-layer from. And, and that when, you know, Wendy's that girl, that woman leaning up against that yellow Volkswagen, Mm. probably thinking about her story and what she needs to jot down. I guess Danny started talking to Tony about the time we put him in nursery school. Did he adjust well to school? Mm, No, (laughs) he didn't like it too much at first. And then he had an injury, so we kept him out for a while. Yeah, I I guess that's about the time when I first noticed that he was talking to Tony. No, thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you're right. Yeah, another reason why I think it's Wendy writing is is because she's the only one that smokes, mm-hmm. and that's and this and she smokes Marlboros, and there there's a pack of Marlboros right there on the table uh, where Jack's supposed to be writing. He's supposed, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. He doesn't. Oh, Jackson is smoking. Wow. 
Yeah, it turns out he's not a writer. <laughs> and he's that's there for a story that a lot of writers go through. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking yeah, right? of one, I can. <laughs> it's close to home. I had heard that his um, experience with his ex-wife that really broke them up was a, was a an instance just like that where he's trying to write and she interrupts him. And he yells at her. Wow. And they and that's how they incorporated that in. Oh. I'm not sure how true that is, but maybe yeah. we'll never know. Yeah. Some things I can give up on. Jack's still around, too. That's a good thing. I see him at basketball games. Oh, no that's way. awesome. Cool. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't see him. I see him on television at that's basketball games. That's great games. to know, though, because, you know, he, he, he doesn't seem to – we don't hear about him getting out much. So that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not doing it anymore, right? I guess that's he's not, true. He's not. He's not uh, doing movies anymore. Yeah, I guess uh, he's full retirement mode. When I come up against a director who has a concept that I maybe I don't agree with it, maybe I just hadn't thought of it or whatever, I'd be more prone to go with them than my own because I want to be out of control as an actor. I want them to have the control. Otherwise, it's going to become predictably my work, and that's not fun. If you think of it as somebody who was at the hotel when they were opening and they didn't have a caretaker that year because all the furniture is covered. And that was one distinct thing in the King book that there sometimes wasn't a caretaker. Mm. So in the film, we see all the furniture without dust coverings. Yeah. And then at the end, we see that all the, all the furniture is completely covered over. It tells oh, us wow. it's, it's a different time but related to the story and who would be that person walking in to look at that picture. And Sontag talks a lot about that, that kind of thing, that pit, that photograph and being encapsulated into a photograph, uh, in her book on photography. It's, uh, it's really deep, um, that there are superstitions out there that think they're, people think that their souls can get captured into a photograph. And I think that encapsulates that along with a whole bunch of other things with Jack at the end, in the end photograph. this for that is fantastic. but wouldn't i mean jack when jack says in his interview that um i'm a writer i don't yeah. get the confidence there <laughs> physically it's it's not a very demanding job the only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is a uh, tremendous sense of isolation well that just happens to be exactly what i'm looking for i'm uh, i'm outlining a new writing project and uh Five months of peace is just what I want. That's very good, Jack. I don't get a whole lot of, oh, I'm a writer. I'm outlining my new project. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about it, but you're not doing it, yeah. are you? It's really pretty outside. How about taking me for a walk after you finish your breakfast? Well, I suppose I ought to try to do some writing first. Any ideas yet? Lots of ideas. No good ones. Well, something will come. It's just a matter of settling back into the habit of writing every day. Yeah, that's 
all of this. <laughs> you know, he seems to go through a lot of clippings to get inspiration. But what's with all the books back in the apartment? Mm -hmm. A lot of those books are by women. They taught a lot of the, uh, even some of the magazines um, are about women in writing like um, the New York Review. Yeah. Um, again, Susan Sontag is is referenced in the New York Review cover, which I think I have a copy of. But um, and then Sean Connery's ex-wife who wrote The Manipulator mm. about about the Hollywood system uh -huh. and and its problems. Uh, her book features there mm. and some of King's books that he referenced out are on the table as well, like 13 Ghosts. And there's a book that's that King liked by, I think, a guy named McDonald about, I think it's called The Beach Girls and it's told in a round robin fashion. And it, you don't know who you're actually listening to, but it's like round robin narration um, around this uh, boat dock down in Florida where, you know, good, good and bad people mix up and someone dies. Wow. Pretty good. Interesting. I'm sure King doesn't know about that either, but wouldn't King <laughs> flip if he, if yeah. he knew that it was actually Wendy who was the strong character in this yeah. multi-layered story that, that, um, and she, it turned out that she was the writer. Incredible. How do we get in touch with him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is. <laughs> I think shell shock. <laughs> well, it's a lot. It's a lot to filter, and I, I'm I'm sure the filter's full. But it's great. Like it's so juicy that we also don't want to. We don't want to rush the end again. Thanks, Wink. Any more time on? I'm willing to take the time to make sure that it's a really hard story to tell, but it's still a lot of information. If you if you could get get it down to a fifth graders level. Good luck. Speaking as fifth graders, we'll try our best. <laughs> so we'll pick it up this yeah. time next week? Yeah, that sounds great. Well, it's, we can't wait to share it with the world. Yeah. Some of the stuff you've been laying down on us. I mean, woo! Ooh, yeah. From the rooftops. <laughs> Real treat, man. And, it, and again, Th No, thank you. Thank you guys for getting it. I mean, this is where it happens. Thanks, it really is. So much again. I need a whiskey. From Clavia Space. This is Brad. I'm Wes. Signing off. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.